Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish, here with a special episode of the Lazy DM Prep Show. Tonight, we are going to be doing a retrospective of my Blades in the Dark campaign. For the past few weeks, I think about four or five weeks, I've run a short Blades in the Dark campaign. And I wanted to do a show where we talked about how the finale of that game went and give my general views and general thoughts about Blades in the Dark so that the whole series, the whole video series that's available on YouTube and the podcast that has been going out has a nice bookend. We have a session zero where I was first getting ready to run Blades all the way through to I have finished running Blades and here's my thoughts and here's what happened. I thought we'd start off by giving my general views of Blades in the Dark. What is, how, now that I've run it, right? I really, I really think when it comes to RPGs, when it comes to adventures, when it comes to game systems, we can read them and, and make assessments, but then there's also running it. And run, when you run it, I, I know I get a much better feeling for what a game is really like when I play it. I was very eager to run Blades in the Dark. I had heard about, uh, I heard a lot about it. I really thought that it was a good evolution of the sort of the, the general ideas behind like the Powered by the Apocalypse game games that, you know, it was the next iteration of that. You know, it was published by Evil Hat, who made Fate, one of my favorite RPGs. So I, I was very eager to run it, and I'm very glad I did, and I enjoyed it a lot. The story, the, the way that it builds mechanics around the story and the, the way that the roles turn continually turn and shift the story is really interesting. The idea of focusing an entire game around heists, I think, is also really strong, right? That idea of like the heist is a really powerful model. I talk about the heist as a quest model or an adventure model in D&D. And it's such a good one because it leaves so many options open for the players to get involved in the situation and change things. And that's why it's, it's better than a lot of linear style quests that you might run in a game. So having an entire RPG that's focused around this style of play, I was immediately pulled to it because I'm like, I, I know that that style works, right? And, and it did, and we had a lot of fun with it. I also think it is it was a surprisingly mechanically heavy game. And I would say probably too mechanically heavy for my comfort. It took, even through five sessions and having players who bought the book, and all my players were into it and I was into it. We all had a good time. And I made my joke earlier when we were talking about it that Blades in the Dark says that you should play your character like you're driving a stolen car. And my addition is, and the, the GM can feel like they're in the trunk of that car getting banged around, right? And I did, I felt a little like that. I, I felt like the story was always just outside of my hands, which is fine, right? Like I'm not, I'm not a controlly DM who needs it or GM who needs to have the control over the game, right? That's not, that's not my goal. It's never been my goal. It's not what I promote. But I never felt like, I, I, felt, I felt like I was always behind mechanically. Right? I always felt like there were systems out there that I should know more about and should be able to drop into place for the things that were happening either during downtime or between sessions or during conversations that were sort of part of a heist, but not really part of a heist. There was a lot of like, there's so many different like phases of the game and then things that occur during those phases. And I kind of got lost. The idea that you have your character sheets, which have all of the mechanics that they have, you have your group sheet for your for your crew and that has its own set of mechanics that that you manage and one of the players can manage that right or the players together can sort of manage that and then you have like your hideout sheet right there's a whole like how you are expanding your turf and your territory there's so many different layers and so many different sorts of mechanics that sit upon those layers way heavier than like fate right or and i would say way heavier than a powered by the apocalypse game and again, kind of heavier than I was comfortable with. And when I look at a game like this, I also say like, well, how 
I mean, it's great. I'm glad it's there. I'm glad it exists. It has a lot of really good features. I'm going to talk about some features that I think we can grab. They won't be big surprises, but ideas that we can grab from Blades of the Dark and drag into any of our RPGs, really, but certainly into D&D, which is, which is always my focus. And um, yeah, I just, I, 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 it's interesting when I look at a game like this, because I would expect an independent RPG like this to be particularly friendly for player, new players to sit down and get involved and get playing. And, and, you know, like run a one shot. And I can't imagine really running a one shot with blades. You can. And and I suppose, you you know, you could get there. But there's there's a lot of you got a lot of explaining to do. Right. You got a lot of things that you need to describe. And you could probably just take the crew sheet and throw that out. And you could say, like, we're not doing downtime. And we're going to, you know, you start with the heist, the, the op, you know, you're going to start with the description of the heist. Character, the players are going to decide how to get in and then you run the heist and then you're done. I think you can you could do that. And certainly if you're an experienced GM and ideally if you have players or at least some players that know how to play, you could probably run a one shot. But like because it's got so many like systems and subsystems that are sitting inside of it, it seems like it would be hard to run it to run it as a one shot. So I'm I'm not bagging on it. I like I like Blades in the Dark a lot. I just I I found it to be pretty mechanically heavy. I had also heard criticism from others that like the world is really deep and you kind of really need to understand the entire world and that that's what sort of draws you in, and and that's true. And I like I read I read a lot of the world by the time you know, I I certainly didn't follow the advice of the book, which is hey read our 350 page book before you consider running this at all, right? And I'm like I've got a lot of RPGs on my shelf right? That I need to read. I got to read all of Wild Beyond the Witchlight right now. I got Numenera I got to get into. So like, I'm a busy guy. I don't really have time to read an entire book cover to cover in order to run a session, right? So I definitely skim read a lot of it. And by the end of the time, I had absorbed quite a bit. I certainly didn't get all the story. I decided I'm going to focus on one area of the world and focus on that. And I thought that there was a lot of interesting, certainly the background and the lore of the world is second to none. I did find that when it came to the heists themselves and, the, and some of the mechanics and some of the stories that were going on, it sort of took the, the kind of really cool, dark fantasy and pushed it aside for like warehouses filled with crates, right? And, and I tried to draw more upon the story. I had lots of circumstance where there was like technology based on electroplasm stuff that was going on. So that it didn't just feel like a kind of a dark steampunk adventure, right? So I really liked it and I really enjoyed it. So I, I you know... I, oh, so let's talk about the things that I think I learned from this that I can grab and throw right into a D&D game. And there's really two big ones that stand out. The first are progress clocks. And I've talked about progress clocks. I have a video on YouTube about how to use progress clocks in D&D. So I've, it's certainly, this is not a surprise. And, and people have like kind of criticized, like, you know, Blades in the Dark didn't invent the checklist, right? It didn't invent tick marks, right? Or skills that take more than one success to succeed. I get it, right? But it it did kind of build a refinement of something that a lot of people have been struggling with, I think, with D&D, which is what do you, how do you handle complex situations in D&D? A lot of people aim towards skill challenges, like 4E style skill challenges. And as a guy who wrote, professionally wrote skill challenges, and as a guy who ran many, many skill challenges and wrote a lot about how to run skill challenges, I can tell you that the 4E model didn't work for me. And it didn't work for me for a few reasons. One, they were too rigid. Mostly they were too rigid in their approach. And it meant that like, if anything happened that was sort of outside the bounds of the skill challenge, you didn't know how to handle it. And I think the Blades in the Dark progress clock is a much more flexible system that that works well. And again, you can see the details of how the how the Blades in the Dark progress clock can work well in D&D in the video that I, that, I, that I did on that. But it works really well. The other one is the idea of the flashback. 
And I really, again, this can, you can drop this right into any RPG. It's not, it's a very simple idea. And again, it's not, I, I've heard like, oh, flashbacks are part of feng shui. I know it's not, you know, not very little is completely new, right? So yeah, I know that flashbacks existed before, but this is the first time I saw them like wired into the game. And, and it's something that you can just kind of do, which is like when somebody makes a skill challenge or a skill check, sometimes when they make that skill check, that isn't for something they're doing right now. You can have them do retro, re retroactive skills for things they might have done earlier. So you could say like, oh, you, there's two guards guarding the front of this gate. And one of the, and the bard is like, what if I had convinced one of these guards previously, you know, and, and paid him off? And you're like, okay, well, cool. So let's go back. Let's, let's jump back a few. And let's say three nights earlier, you ran into this guy into the bar and you wanted to convince him. You passed him some gold, but you also want to convince him like, you know, on this night, it's probably best if you take a hike, like, you know, and you're like, okay. And you roll that check, right? And then he rolls the check and let's say he succeeds. Then, you know, you watch and then you go back to present day and the guard wanders off, right? What if he fails, right? If he fails on the check, well, now the guard is like, keep an eye out. There's people coming, right? I took their money, but I'm actually a double agent, right? So there's interesting ways that you can use flashbacks, basically doing, you know, going back in time, letting skill checks change things that have occurred previously to change the environment of a situation. I think it's a really cool ability. My players liked it a lot and I liked it a lot. I thought it was a really, I thought it was a really cool thing to do. So those are two like little tricks from Blades in the Dark that are wired into Blades, but that we can take and we can drop into any of our any of our RPGs and, and certainly drop them into D&D. So how did my, how did the final session actually go? It's a good question. I, I must admit it has been two weeks, more than two weeks since I ran the session. So it's a little fuzzy in my head. So I, at, at the, at this point in the game, let's see, is this where, yeah, I make sure this is, this is the last, I'm pretty sure this is the last game we, that we did. So we, we, right. We, we actually ended up running two heists. So we ran the end of one heist and then did a whole other job in one session to kind of end it. And it, and it worked well. And the, the general idea was that they managed to give Rorik a body. They decided to give him a spider. So the whole, the whole thing was that Rorik, the former head of the crows, had been murdered and his head had been cut off and stuck in a vat and it was still alive and sentient because it had been powered by weird occult stuff that the, D the Dimmer sisters did. The characters recovered his head. So now he, they had the head of the head of the, the, the head of the former head of the crows. And they, he said, hey, I'll give you a job. I want you to find me a body. The Dimmer sisters have a secret laboratory of weird stuff. I'd like to go there and get a body. So the characters went to a secret laboratory underneath the nightclub. They ended up blowing up most of the nightclub on their way in, which seems to happen a lot. Blowing things up seems to happen a lot in Blades in the Dark campaigns. They went down into the lab and they found this great big lab filled with different weird construct bodies. There was like a doom style cyber demon body. There was like a really sleek nine foot tall metal humanoid body. There was a weird squid, half mechanical, half organic squid body. Right. There was all these different things that they found down there. And he said, I think so he said, well, I'll leave it to you guys. What do you think I should take? And they're like spider, big spider. So he, he then went inside the spider and his eyes glowed. He looked a lot like a matrix, the matrix squid things, only like a big spider. He had weird blue eyes that glowed. And uh, they got to a big fight with the dimmer sisters that were with the dimmer sister agents that were there blew up a lot of them. I forget. Oh, they managed to like channel energy into one of the other constructs, which then started wreaking havoc and destroying other people, which again, like when you have these sort of super successes, 
you know, the world around them starts to behave in a way that helps them, right? So they managed to take the big spider. They escaped from the secret laboratory. They had killed a bunch of Dimmer Sister agents and they got out and Rorik got out. And Rorik's, so then they went back to their home base. Rorik is still with them. Rorik said, I'm going to go meet some of my other, uh, there, there are members of the crows that I can go talk to and start the process of getting the crows back from Lisa. But Lisa has to go. Lisa your job, he says, I'll give you one last job, one last job, right? And the last job is they have to go and make sure Lisa is no longer a problem when it comes to the leadership of the crows, which leaves it open to them. Do they kill her? Do they convince her? Do they, do they tell her she can leave? I, I left it open and he left it open on what they needed to do with Lisa. It wasn't an assassination job. It could be, that's an easy way to handle it, but it could be convincing Lisa to go. And so then I built the situation for that. And the situation was that Lisa was a, uh, sitting on a ship called the Night Hulk, a, a uh, massive Leviathan hunter ship. One of these ships that goes and hunts these giant whale demons, right? And she was there with her sister and they had hired on a bunch of these guys called the Silver Nails who were mercenaries because she wasn't sure she could, knowing that the head of the head of the, the head of the head of the crows had been recovered. She's worried that there might be a coup going on inside the crows. So she's like, I can't trust crows to do this because they might turn on me. So I'll hire my own mercenaries. So she did. She hired these guys called the silver nails, which made sense. So the group then was on this new heist and they were deciding what they wanted to do. And one of the things that they wanted to do, one of them got like basically an electroplasm rail gun thing you know, kind of built it up. And the others, they, they all, one neat thing is you can split the party pretty easily in this. So they had split the party up and they said, a couple of us are going to steal on board. They did a couple of flashbacks where they had paid off some members of the Silver Nails so that they could get on board without too much trouble. They're, they're you know, they were kind of dancing between where we want to grab Lisa's sister, Lorette. We also would like to grab Lisa if we can and other things. And we might sink, we might sink the ship while we're there. Because blowing things up is a common ending, if you didn't get that. Common process is blowing up the place that you're going to go do the heist. And that's kind of what happened. So the characters, and we had, you know, kind of what happened to the characters. So we had Lex, Juliet's character, is the one that had the rail gun. And she came in from the side and she says, I want to just ride up on a dinghy. And when the time is right, I'm going to take that rail gun and I'm going to blow a hole through the side of the ship, right? And the others all were kind of like converging in and going to grab people. And she did. She fired this railgun. She blew a hole and it worked fine. But then this weird raw electroplasm goop started flowing out of the thing. And like hands and faces are appearing in this stuff, right? Of these weird spirits. And everyone else started doing their thing. They managed to grab Lorette. They went in. One of the characters snuck up onto the, 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 the superstructure that Lorette was on. She was outside. Lisa was inside with her bodyguards. And they grabbed Lorette. And she, she swooned. She's like, oh, and faints. They grabbed her, threw over one shoulder. And they're like, I'm just heading out with her. It's like, whatever else happens, we've got Lorette. All right. If we lose to Lisa or something else goes on, we have leverage and we're going to take it off the ship so we don't get it. So while the ship is starting to sink, everybody else is freaking out. Half of the crew leaves. Uh, a few of the silver nails stick around. And Lisa comes out with a couple of Silver Nails bodyguards and a couple of the other characters, including Joe, the cutter and Jay's spider, the kingmaker, both approached Lisa and, and said, we have your sister and we're going to work this out. And she's like, screw you guys. Like, I'm not going to stay here. And they kind of got into a fight. And she, I think she started like beating cutter pretty bad or beating uh, half off pretty badly. Right. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jay, the kingmaker, has this like little gun 
inside of his sleeve and he whips it out and he pulls the trigger and he rolls, I think he had to roll three dice and he got two sixes, which is the equivalent of a crit. And it was like the last roll of the session, right? And we're like, yeah, you know, he's like, Zing, boom, and she's dead, right? She, she, you know, half her head disappears. And this main boss of this whole thing is gone. And so then like, okay, let's leave, right? So they kind of pick everybody up and leave. And, and, and Lex, I forget what she was trying to do. She was going to try to draw something out of the weird electroplasm stuff. And she failed miserably. She rolled like three dice and didn't get higher than like a three. And she fell into it and disappeared. And next thing you know, like Lex has disappeared into another dimension, another world. She just disappears into it. And that was like the end of her character. She's like, oh. And the player was like, whoa, right? She was like, because it's final session. So she's like, that's cool. And so they went back to their hideout. They found out that Rorik in his spider, new spider body was going to become the 10,000 year old leader of the crows and that that was going to work really well. And they are, you know, they'll be on retainer, right? That our, our grew the gray, their gray enjimas will be there on their payroll, not on their payroll, but on their retainer. They'll be you know, on their retainer for future, right? And so that all worked. And then I said, then there's a knock at the door and Lex shows up and I'm like, Juliet, what is Lex Tell me about that. And she's like, Lex comes in and she's just, you know, oily, oily black from top to bottom. But from the shape, you can see that it's Lex. And she just slowly walks into the room. And that was where we ended the game, right? The whole session. And it was like, what? Right. So this idea that like Lex was taken to the other side and then returns. I thought it was really cool. Calicverse says, do you feel like your players wanted to keep going with the game or were they, were they content? They were, can we, you know, can I choose both? I think they would have been happy to continue the game. And it's possibly they were happier to continue the game than I was. I was ready to move on. I, I, I was ready to move to Numenera. And that's what we ended up doing. And, but so they were, they were happy. I think they would have been happy doing it again. They, they, everybody seemed to be enjoying the characters. Everybody liked the mechanics. You get to do a lot of stuff. And I think that was really cool. They were happy to kind of dig into the thing. Like we would try to figure out like, well, how does healing work exactly? Like healing between sessions sort of has its own thing, right? You have to kind of engage your vices in order to do that kind of stuff. So there was definitely, there was, there was, they were, they were, they would have been happy to continue to play. And I would have, I like, I could have gone a couple, but like, I also want to do some other things, right? My goal was to try a couple of different independent games before we start jumping back to D&D. And this gave us a chance. And I, I would personally, and I think this is where it's going to go. And somebody remarked about this on the prep show last Sunday with like, wow, Mike is way more animated about preparing for his Numenera game than he was for the Blades game. And that's true, right? Like I'm, I'm, I've, I've already fallen in love with Numenera years ago. So for me to be able to jump into Numenera and really dive into that one, and I, I find the mechanics and the gameplay of Numenera, A, because I'm familiar with it, right? But I find it far more palatable to jump into. So we'll see. I, you know, I think in the end, it'd be interesting to talk to my players and say like, hey, you, which do you, have you enjoyed more, right? But the story of Numenera to me is so much bigger and wider in scope and so much more colorful. You can see from the art that I've been using for this, how more colorful Numenera is, right? And I kind of want that. Like, part of it is the atmosphere. I don't mind like the grim, dark, you know, kind of cool, dark fantasy heist thing. But I can only take so much of that. And then I want to do more optimistic kind of bright, beautiful, and colorful system. When will I be running another 5e game? Well, I am running another 5e game every Wednesday night. So I, I run 5e continually. When will I do it with the Sunday group? Good question. I don't know, right? I'm not sure. You know, 
maybe what we'll do is we'll play some Numenera and then maybe I will pitch either Scarlet Citadel or Shadowed Keep on the Borderlands, two third-party adventures that I've been interested in running. Maybe even, I don't know if I want to jump into Kingdom of the, or Empire of the Ghouls because there's another sort of dark game. That would be a fun one too. Empire of the Ghouls by Cobalt Press, Scarlet Citadel by Cobalt Press, or, or Shadowed Keep in the Borderlands if we really want to do like an old school style thing. I would, I would lean probably towards Scarlet Citadel of all of those. I think it would be a really interesting. It is a big dungeon delve. And we're doing a lot of dungeon delving in Numenera. So it might be too much dungeon delving. We'll see. And where, where Empire of the Ghouls is much more of a story focused, you know, straightforward procedural kind of adventure path, right? Where each chapter is sort of a big chunk of the, of the adventure that you're running. So that is my uh, Blades in the Dark campaign. For those that have been watching my prep, I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope you have watched the rest of this video series. If you're watching this on YouTube, there is a thumbnail for the playlist. If you want to see all of my Blades in the Dark games and see how, see how it went and, and hear me, watch me progress as I had run all of this. Uh, I want to thank all of you for uh, watching the video. If you enjoyed this video, you can help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter, supporting me directly on Patreon, picking up any of my books or uh, subscribing to me right here on YouTube. So thank you very much and have a great day.